0: self-published author and digital marketer Paul Teague.
1: Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 60 for Monday the 24th of April 2017. My guest on today's podcast is Graham Smith who became an avid fan of crime fiction after being given one of Edith Blyton's famous five books at the age of eight. He's also a regular contributor to the well-respected review site crimesquad.com. After what Graham describes as a few terrible drafts littered with amateurish mistakes, he managed to write a book good enough to secure a publishing contract with Caffeine Nights for his debut novel. His latest book, Watching the Bodies, is released the day after this episode goes live on the 25th of April 2017. I caught up with Graham at the hotel where he works. When we sat down to chat, I started by asking him how he got started with his writing. It's one of those things that I came up with, crime, you know,
2: done the traditional path from Enid Blyton to the hardy boys and then onto some i suppose gentle easy going thrillers in my mid teens and then towards the adult stuff as I got to my 20s um other than a disastrous attempt to try and write something in my early teens that hopefully has been burned and <laughs> lost um i was late to it i was my, i was late 30s when i properly put pen to paper um Around 2010, I started writing. I started writing a novel that would eventually become Snatched from Home, but the early um, parts of that were terrible. I had too many characters starting with the same names and 15 people in a room all trying to talk at once. and made all the beginner's (laughs) mistakes, but that's fine. I was a beginner. So because of that, I kind of learned my chops and I struggled a bit. And then a good friend called Burry got me on to writing short stories. And I wrote uh, quite a number of short stories. I got them out on blogs such as Thrills, Kills and Chills, Twist of Noir and other such blogs like that that were featuring a lot of short stories and so on. And the crime fiction community, or the blogging community, really kind of embraced me and liked my stories and they were all very supportive and we'd all, you know, commenting on each other's work and, you know, and embraced it. But in learning to write the short stories and trying to impress and live up to the standards that others had set, I became a better writer. So I went back to the piece of work that was snatched from home and Basically, started again. It was the same story, just told properly. I got rid of all the characters because I had a Cairns, a Cow, and a Campbell, and a Chisholm in the same room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's and, easily done, though, isn't it? Something yeah, like that. You know. And, well, I had an Amy Blake and an Ami Abaki as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do I do that. I'm, I'm terrible at doing that with them. So. Yeah. But
2: I learned to get past the letter C when you have character names.
1: And I moved on
2: from there. And it it was just one of those things. You learn from your mistakes. Mm. If you keep making the same mistake time and time again, then you're never going to learn. But fortunately, I have the capacity to learn from my mistakes, which are plenty. Um, So I did that. Um, Now, whenever I'm writing, I I create a spreadsheet, three columns, Christian name on the left, the alphabet
1: in the middle, and surname (laughs) on the right, so I can see which... I've used Mm. you know good idea yeah it is a good idea that because it's such I I fall into that trap all the time and it sounds so simple doesn't it yeah but you have two names that begin with the same letter and you're confused straight away
2: yeah sometimes you can get away with it I've still got a Campbell and a Chisholm but they're defined different Mm. sounds A cat as a ch, whereas other ones The problem with it, of course, is that when you get to naming ladies, you're always going to end up with a Yvonne and a Zoe in your (laughs) novels. (laughs) Um, So you you just have to be clever about it and just basically remember what you've already done, what you've already used, and work
1: it all together that way. I think you made an interesting point there in that you, you wrote your first book and you said it was terrible and then, you know, how did you learn to write? You wrote. Mm. Um, I, I think that's an interesting point because I think you've kind of got to travel the journey the first time to be able to know that you could just rinse and repeat after that. Yeah. Oh, it is. I mean, it's,
2: it's very much a leap of faith. When you sit with a document open and you write chapter one and then you know that you've got to put 80,000, 90,000 words onto that document, and it's got to make sense. It is a leap of faith. I'm not a huge plotter at all. When I start right now, I, I know which character set I'm going to use. Um, I know the, the opening scene. I know the end, what the end should be. You know, if the serial killer has got to be killed or jailed. You know, that kind of thing. I know what the resolution should be. And maybe know a couple of waypoints in between, but the rest is a complete mystery. And I have been eighty thousand words in a ninety thousand word novel when I've realized how I get my character my hero and my villain together for them mm. for the resolution to happen. And that can be quite a leap of faith. but I've learned that my subconscious knows what it's doing. When I get to that point and I look back, what do I need to change to make this work? And it's never been more than a hundred words. The subconscious has known all along and it's fed it in. And I've learned just to trust that. But it is a complete leap of faith that you get there. And occasionally when you come to edit a novel, you find a phrase, oh my God, did I really write that? It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And then once every 15 chapters... You find a face. Oh, that's good. Who wrote that for me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just, you do get these wee moments, and nah, you know, even I'll freely admit it. With uh, some of the Harry Evans novels, when I read them back after leaving them away to distill after writing the first draft, when I read them back to sort them, there's a couple of moments in there that, even though I knew what was happening, it still got to me because I've got that much emotion. Mm onto the page and created the scene. Maybe it would only ever work for me that way because I can picture my characters, I know them better than anyone else, which I should do,
1: but yeah, it's, it's weird, I get absorbed. You've had a really um, interesting progression with your writing career because when you look through your your Amazon rack of books, and it's a very impressive rack I have yeah. to say, Um You've taken part in a number of anthologies, which is very interesting. You've got short stories and anthologies, plus you've self-published, plus you've got a couple of publishers too. So there's a very interesting trajectory there. What what came first?
2: Um, well, it came first. Around the time when I was writing the short stories, um, there was a small American publisher set up just for digital collections. and He was snapping up everybody. Very much to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And- that all went pear shaped We found out he wasn't the most trustworthy individual we'd ever dealt with. So, just every author that was with him backed away. Um, and a lot of us just thought, right, okay, we've got the stories and we tweaked them and sometimes added an extra one, bonus content or whatever. And um, myself and a few others, we got covers made and then we just republished. We self published them ourselves and tried our hand at promotion. It worked to a point. Um, not sure on the market for short story collections by unknown authors. Um, again, that was when we, a lot of us, myself especially uh, included, rather, really found out about the trials of discoverability—is mm. getting your name and your book in front of readers who've never heard of you before. That was a trial. Again, anthologies were just a route I'm on social media quite a bit someone throw a request out on uh, Twitter or Facebook look at to put together a short story anthology this is going to be the theme have you got anything you can send and some of the guys have been supporting me and so you know maybe message them say, yeah I've got something or I can write something you know and They'd supported me, so I wanted to support them. Generally, a lot of the anthologies are for charity, you know, proceeds go to a good cause. And there's also the fact that some of the anthologies had some quite good names attached to them. Mm. Um, because of that, wanted to get my name in the same book as maybe Stephen Leather or Steve Mosby or well, Luca Vest edited one of them. And he's now setting up the head of, um, with his... Rossi and Murphy series set in Liverpool. Um and, and it's all that, it's all there in as much as these guys have achieved quite a lot. Lucas started the same place as I did, literally with the same publisher in America. And he's gone on to have great success that way. And sometimes it's about supporting good causes, sometimes it's about getting your name in among with the big names so that people will hopefully Learn about you as well. We? It's all interesting. I'm one of these people
1: forever throwing my hand and saying, "Yeah, I'll have a call." <laughs> well, one of the things that, that struck me—I'm just trying to think—I um, saw you on stage. I think this is possibly the first time I saw you in Carlisle last year. What was the um, crime event? Uh, Carlisle Crime Weekend. Yeah, I, that's um, the first time I, I, I'd see I'd see you on stage. and You were with Matt Hilton, who I've interviewed for this podcast. And yeah. you know, Matt's had a sort of a very traditional, a very successful and high-profile career. And what what struck me even then, and actually when I came to this very premises to attend Cl- Crime and Publishment, which we'll talk about later, yeah. is how well connected you are with people who've been on the sort of crime blogging speaking scene. Um, and that seems to, to be a very important part of your success. How, how did that come about? That came about because I'm one of these guys that will walk into a room
2: and speak to people. It's It's networking. But not in the business stayed sense where you exchange business cards and you know you scribble a wee note or you can do this and then you forget about it. I just go in and hang out with people. I thought I'm very lucky. A good number of years ago, I got an email newsletter. It was the Reacher Report, and it said that Lee would be appearing at Harrogate Crime Festival. I thought, oh. Why do I not know about this? So I went in, I wrote, oh, that's it. And literally within half an hour of getting that email, I had checked with my wife and checked with work. (laughs) (laughs) And I was on the phone booking. (laughs) You got your permissions. Yeah, and that that was it. And I went and had a fantastic weekend uh, at a festival where readers and writers of all stations just hung out, mix. At one point, I was... Uh, drinking at the bar with Al McDermott. Mm. You know, um, it was just an unbelievably surreal weekend. And at one point I was sitting on the wall outside just chilling with a, a big smile on my face, looking around at all the, the different people and I got talking to talk at the guy sitting on the wall beside me. And it turns out that he was involved in a review website called CrimeSquad.com. Mm-hmm. I'd had one or two Coca-Colas by this time, so I sent myself a text <laughs> to say CrimeSquad.com because at the time I'd been scouring all the newspapers looking for reviews of good crime fiction books. Um, and here was a website. Again, in them days, the website was still growing and it's not that universal force that it is now um so we, got, we talked a little further and i cheekily asked if you've got any jobs going he says we might do and he told me how you know the audition process as it were so in between the various panels i um uh, begged a sheet of paper from the receptionist and i wrote out a review of a book that i'd just finished and the book was the excellent big island by Mo Ada. after Gave the sheet of paper back to the receptionist and she could she very kindly typed it up for me. So I, literally the in this the next day I there you go, there's my audition. And I got with Crime Squad and a couple of weeks after the festival I got my first book from them, The New Val McDermott. I thought, well you're gonna throw the new boy in at the deep end, aren't you? <laughs> um but I read it, reviewed it, and I was delighted to see that it was quoted on Val's website. Mm. My interview was quoted Mm -hmm. on Val's website. Mm. So that was it. I was off and running. And over the next few years, going to Harrogate, I was doing interviews with the likes of Val, Lee Child, Dennis Lehan. The list of names is unbelievable. Mm. Um, But I also interviewed other guys like Matt Hilton, who's become a very good, close friend, a a mentor Mm. to a point. And I've made so many friends throughout the industry. I've spoken with editors, drunk with um, agents, publishers, and because of all these connections, I wouldn't say that I'm an unknown face. But people know who I am, where I I am, and <clears throat> Crime School has an incredibly good name. A number of authors that have said, you know, can I get a book, copy of your book um, to review for Crime Squad? And they said, absolutely anything for Crime Squad. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've made friends with quite a few people that way, you know, and we've hit it off. Because of that, when it comes to my own writing, I've been able to get blurbs um, from some good names. Peter James has given me a blurb, mm-hmm. and so has Joseph Finder, mm-hmm. New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm
1: which, considering I failed my English O-levels twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but doesn't that say all, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, about the value of exams.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, for someone who did that, mm. to get a quote from a guy who used to be in the
1: CIA and has taught at Harvard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an interesting point you make, though, because, um, and, and you know, this is an educational podcast for, for indie authors. Yeah. The reason I do the podcast is because I get to talk to people who I wouldn't normally get to talk to that's exactly what you're doing in a slightly different way. Yeah. You know, in a way that suits your style. You're, you're getting, it fast tracks you and it helps you to jump the queue to get to talk to people that normally wouldn't give you the time yeah. of day. But it's very important, isn't it? It
2: is. And again, it's one of those things, um, excuse me, it's about walking into the room and having industry credentials, mm. if you will. Like, if you take the analogy back to the, business meeting nobody wants to network with the guy who buys the stationery Mm. except the person selling stationery they all want to network with the ceo Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know to get to speak to the ceo you've got to have a certain amount of credentials you've got to be in a position you've got to represent a respected body or be able to help them in some way you know, if you try and sell him paper clips, he's gonna send he's gonna direct you to the guy that buys the stationery. Yeah. If you're gonna help promote his business, he's gonna sit down and talk to you and he will maybe bring in his marketing team. Yeah. And, and that's very much what it's about. But without wearing a great big badge that says, I'm from mm-hmm. you know, you go in, you talk, you hang out. Um Case in Point is uh, an agent, Phil Patterson. Maybe known, known as Sol the Agent, um, lovely guy, and Howard Linsky, who's one of his authors, introduced me to Phil at Crime Squad a good number of years ago. Not Crime Squad at Paradigm, sorry. Mm. Um, and it was late at night. We'd all had a, a few beers, and we, we just stood and hung out and talked and chatted. But Phil knew who I was because I'd reviewed Howard's books, mm-hmm. Stuart McBride. Um, and Tom Wood, three authors that he represents, and he got to meet the guy who was given good reviews for them. They were good reviews because they were good books, and, but that's the mingling. A lot of the publishing industry at times, there's a certain amount of schmoozing goes on. Um, publishers, uh, the agents, etc. they all look after the people who help their authors by way of good reviews and so on, you know. It's, when I say look after, they'll buy you a pint with them at the bar and that mm. kind of thing. There's never anything untoward. Mm. But that happens a lot. Mm. I call that reciprocity. You know, yes. if somebody gives you something, you yeah. want to say thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, well, exactly. Mm. You know, and, and there's a spirit that way. And it's very much um, appreciated because I've always thought that with regards to Crime Squad, I'm just a loudmouth who's got a platform. Mm. You know, I, I get up and I say what I think about a book. But again, I wholeheartedly share the editor's
1: ethos. If you haven't got something nice to say, say nothing. Well, that's interesting. I was going to ask you about that because as an author, you'll have been on the end of some reviews oh. that you disagreed with, no doubt, or felt you know quite affronted oh, by. I've had, I've had a couple. <laughs> um, touch wood. I'm not going
2: to tap the table. <laughs> um, I've been lucky so far. Mm. I once interviewed Harlan Coben, Um Oh, lucky you. He's one of my favourites. So. Lovely man. And on the way to the interview suite, green room, whatever it is, um, <clears throat> we were talking, and to kind of break the silence and the ice and that, we'd, I generally say, what's your opinion on reviews, you know, review sites? at all? Oh, well, you know, I, I think if I get a good one that uh, the reviewer's a nice, clever guy, and if I get a bad one, I just think he's an idiot. <laughs> he says, but you're not a writer until you've had a bad review. Mm. So I think of it as a writer passage, and I've shared that mm. um, quote because it, it's very, very true. And if you look at any book, um, there is somebody somewhere who's going to write a bad review. Look up The Grapes of, grapes of Wrath and go through all the negatives. Mm. There'll be someone who said, I've never seen any angry grapes in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? <laughs> The ones that really, really frustrate me are the ones, I'm giving this book one star because when it arrived, it was wet. Mm -hmm. That's the postman who dropped it in a puddle. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't like my book, you don't like my writings, my turns of phrases, my plotting, that's fine. I can live with that. Um, I have subjective opinions. I don't agree with every book I've ever read. Some I've tossed across the room. That's fine. If you don't like what I do, that's fair enough. Right, constructive criticism um, but again you'll know this yourself as an author we all do have a certain amount of um, inner anxiety I'm always waiting when I send off a submission for someone to type back and say please cut off your fingers so you can never ever write another book mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and it's those insecurities I think that drive us to improve. That's part of our learning process. We want to get better. Harlan Coburn um admitted to me in an interview. Every time I write a new book, I struggle, I think it's rubbish. And I've not, I've written enough now, he says, um that I know to keep powering through. Van that's said the same thing, mm-hmm. every time I write a new book, I think, oh, this is shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, a factor that all authors go through. It's that crisis of confidence. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things that
1: uh, you just have to deal with and push through. You, you've talked about your anthologies, okay. we've touched on your self publishing. When did um, the publishing industry come, come knocking, or you went knocking to the publishing industry? When did you get that first book in print? Um,
2: well, my f- Debut novel, Snatch from Home, was published in March 2015. The way that kind of came about um, <clears throat> was basically because of all my connections and the fact that I was wanting to write and recognised the fact that I needed to learn an awful lot. Um, I'm going to say for the listeners here that I met Paul on a training course. I attend, I attend training courses and... Half an hour before this interview started, I booked for a training course. Oh
1: great, okay, yeah.
2: yeah. Um I believe in further education of myself. Um yeah. and I wanted to learn more. So I I did the usual thing, you go online to see what there is, and I thought, oh, they're expensive. And that's a lot of money for what's a sec- essentially one day's training and four days to write. Mm. You know, so I thought, right, I'm going to put together my own um, series of writing classes. Um, My day job is as general manager of a hotel and wedding venue near Greta Green. So I had the perfect opportunity. I've loads of contacts in the crime industry and I decided that's what I wanted to do. Working on from that, I pulled in a few mates and arranged um, a two-day course where people were taught on various aspects of crime writing but one of the key usps that i added to it was i managed to persuade al guthrie of jenny brown associates uh, the agent to come down and teach people how to pitch to an agent and then listen to their pitches Um, because of that we got uh, a good number of attendees and the weekend was a success. Um, the weekend's got the rather unique title of Crime and Publishment. Um, it's gone from strength to strength. 2017 was the most successful yet. We've seen over 30 people pay to attend. And one of the key things about it is To date, we have six um, people who have signed publishing contracts. Two have attracted agents. One of our speakers was snapped up by an agent. Um, In talks with TV companies. Um, We've had about 12 books published so far. We've put together an anthology and today is
1: the launch day for Lucy Cameron's Uber, uh, debut novel? Night is watching. Fantastic! It's. I, I think that's really, really clever. Uh, <laughs> actually, because um, it's very expensive to get as you as you just yeah. said to get um, tuition. You could pay thousands of pounds for it, and actually, you might not be any further forward at, at the end of it. That's really clever. Talk about using your resources. You've got yeah. the venue here, so you bring <laughs> you bring the teachers to you turn it into a you know, a money-making venture yeah. uh, and you get the learning for free. i I get the learning for free. Which is a brilliant week. Yeah. It's amazing. But I went to the event this year because you and I met Aye. at one of my training sessions. It was brilliant. And, and it's so refreshing as somebody who lives in the north of England to have a good quality event in the north, not yes. to have to go to London for it. Mm. So refreshing that. Mm. The, the other thing about
2: it, and I have to give credit where it's due is, the people who I've who I've attracted, some have come every year. They've been here five times, mm-hmm. but they have welcomed new people in. I work hard to avoid cliques. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't feel cliquey. No, no, not at all. Uh, well, we've all mm-hmm. been to these business events mm-hmm. where you get one little knot, mm-hmm. and the see, and then the next event you go, it's the same group of knots. Mm-hmm. Um. I would dead against that. I've been stood outside them, not trying to elbow my way Mm in, speak to someone without using physically using elbows. Yes, Um, and I'm against that. I, I, you know, some years I put networking in and do a brief half hour talk on networking. um, Since I found out that the first year we held crime and punishment some people hid behind the screens until it was time to start. Mm no, everyone's got to be included. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's very much a collegiate effort. You know, everyone's welcome. We have get-togethers where we'll just meet up for a blether and a catch-up, you know, support each other. Lucy's launch tonight. There'll be quite possibly a dozen Crime and Publishment members there Mm -hmm. to support her, and there'll be support bouncing about on Facebook, Twitter, and all the rest to help give uh, give Lucy the fanfare it deserves that's what's made it if the first year it had been very good and everyone had been the type who went back to the room after the course and didn't have a few drinks and a a laugh together and you know in the morning uh, at Crime and Publishment people are discussing how to hide a body over breakfast (laughs) (laughs) You yeah. know, you know, mm. no subject of limits <laughs> at all, you know. Mm. <clears throat> but I think one of the big, big things for, that I've found from it is it's great to be in a room with a bunch of like-minded people who are all having the same struggles that you're having because writing is such a solitary, mm. solitary event. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great and it's great because of the people who've come. They've, yes. they've made it they've created the atmosphere and the camaraderie
1: i i just came um for the first day uh, this year and what i realized is actually you need to stay for the weekend you, you need to just stay in the hotel yeah and stay for the weekend i think to get the best benefit from it yeah um that was my learning point from, from this yeah. year that I, I went home on the Friday. and thought actually i'd quite like to be staying now and you know so i'll i'll clear my diary next time I think yeah. that's that would be my top tip for, yeah. for, for crime and publishing. Uh, oh. I think that's probably where the as you said the value often is of, is in the conversations in the bar as well as yeah. the teaching sessions.
2: Well, well, that's it. I mean, <clears throat> I've been very lucky again with the talent I've managed to attract. I mean, this year we had Tom Harper, who's a former chair of the Crime Writers Association, mm. had Lynn Anderson, who's one of the founders of a Bloody Scotland, mm. Paul Finch, who's a New Sunday Times bestseller and the agent, stroke publisher this year, not agent, is Simon Truin of William Morris Endeavour. Simon is the top guy in the UK for the world's biggest entertainment agency. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: that you don't get any better than no, that. No. and in the north of england too you know I, yeah. I always say this but you know there's so little in the north of england that, that of quality that we can yeah. attend and it's fabulous event <laughs> yeah. so i okay. i like to see this place packed actually with like you know a couple hundred people because when i was here i was thinking you know this could be really big actually this could be a real big destination i think it could
2: i would never let it get that big mm. i would if you do that then you lose the atmosphere mm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's the classes you, you're a tutor, you know yourself that if mm-hmm. a class gets above 20, it can get unruly yes. and unmanageable. Yes, yes, yes. I
1: would make sure that classes never got over 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a nice size, actually. And um, I mean, you wouldn't believe it, but you know, I actually don't like talking in public. I know you wouldn't believe it, yeah. but I don't. And um, it's not in situations like that. So, you know, if it was too intimidating, uh, and a lot of authors are introverts rather than extroverts. Yeah as you get, the group's too big, you're not going to get that kind of input and and, and willingness to talk, are you?
2: Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that all these introverts hurt is one of the tutor's favourite things, right, going to go around the table and everybody introduce yourself. (laughs) You know, it's a necessary evil, I get Mm. that. Mm. But with authors who are used to just being themselves, coming out into a crowd of 20 people is quite a thing for some of them. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I know some authors who are very uneasy, you know, to the point of they don't like physical contact, they Mm. don't want to shake hands with you or anything like that. Mm. So to get them to metaphorically stand up and speak to a room of 20 people about themselves Mm. can be quite a, a daunting thing. But at the same time, I understand why the tutors and the speakers do it, because it gives them a little flash of information with everyone in the room so that they can...
1: Structure the talk, yes, um, to suit the needs. Speaking of somebody who does that, yeah, yeah it, you know, in a ten-minute session, you can very quickly get to grips with where everybody is and where you need to pitch at. Um, so well, it's useful. Yeah, yeah, it is.
2: I mean, I've, I've spoken a few of the crime and publishments you know, on various topics, and I'm lucky because I, I meet the people socially um, and get a wee bit blather with them before I actually take a, a course. But at the same time, without it, I would want to go around the room so that I think, right, he's really good. He, knows, he really knows what he's doing. But I can't aim it all at him because she doesn't. This is her first you know, step into it. Yes. So I need to aim for the middle ground or
1: flip between the two a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> when you um, got traditionally published, how did it meet your expectations? Did it Was it any shock, surprises about the process? Um. The biggest shock was the acceptance
2: email. It was one of those <laughs> jump up and punch the air <laughs> kind of moments. Mm. Um, There's the validation that comes with it, mm. it was a huge thing. Um, there were a lot of um, pleasant surprises along the way. You know, being allowed to feedback and ideas on covers, and you know, discuss marketing ideas because the day job sees me do a lot. With marketing and the marketing course where I met you. Um, and be- because of that, I've always felt involved, mm. um, which is good because when you run a business, you tend to be something of a control freak and you want to be involved in everything. Mm. It's very hard just to send it away and say, Right, okay, that's yours now. It's not, mm. it's mine,
1: it's my baby. Which makes actually your, your natural impulse is more of a self-publisher in that respect, you know, yeah. to have that, that, that control, that entrepreneur. To mm. have the control.
2: Again, I'd learned with the short story collections that I didn't know enough about book marketing to get them out there. Mm. And I'm a traditionalist in an awful lot of ways. My reading habits, I prefer a paper book to a Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, I can use either div- either method. But if you offer me an e-file of a book or a paper copy, I'm always going to take the paper. Mm. Um, it's there, but coming back to the publishing, it was very good to get the validation. And so there's lots of little surprises. By the time I got published, I already knew the crime fiction world. It was really good, really supportive and encouraging. Um, apparently, the, the romance writers are not at all supportive of each other mm-hmm. and I put it down to we spend all day getting our hate out and they spend all day getting their love out <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. So, so
1: when it comes to the, the crunch what's left inside is the hate when we've just got the love left well that's a good job because we discuss how to hide bodies don't we yeah. so it's probably just as well I, if, if we've got the hate we've still the hate inside so have to discuss how to hide the body <laughs> That's a it bad could,
2: combination. It go really bad. But, yeah, it was incredibly supportive. I seen Val McDermott at the Harrogate Festival. I told her I had a book coming out and asked if she'd take a look at it. First thing she did was step forward, give us a kiss and a cuddle and
1: congratulate mm. me. Mm. And that's from one of the biggest sellers. That's See? an amazing prospect to have Val McDermott look at your book, for goodness ah, sake, well, and terrifying, isn't
2: it? It is. Mm. Um But again, Peter James has uh, read some of my stuff. Joe Finder, Joseph Finder, I know him as Joe. Mm. (laughs) It's silly. Because I could trace my uh, publishing journey right back to speaking to that guy on the wall outside Harrogate the first year. Mm. A couple of years ago when I interviewed Lee Child, I gave him a copy of my novel and I told him the story that it was his newsletter that brought me to Harrogate, that got me with Climb Squad, that got me in a position where I could run claim and Publishment, mm. which got me a publishing contract, mm. which got me the book. Mm. So from there, I just handed the book to him. If you don't like it, it's your own fault. You started it. <laughs> and the, he just handed it back and asked me to sign it, mm. which was quite simple Signing your own mm. book for me, child. Yeah. What an experience. I, it certainly was. Yeah.
1: I'm incredibly lucky. I've had a, an awful lot of positive experiences. But you've made your own luck, and and I think this is important in that um, you know, in terms of the podcast, that you can't just write the books. Y- you have got to do more than that. And yeah. and you know, you're doing something completely different to me, but it's it's yeah. the same principles. But the same principle, it's, mm. which is basically go out and engage with
2: people. Mm. You know, talk to people. Talk to people who can be useful to you and talk to people who can't. You know, don't mm. ignore
1: someone today because you don't know what they are going to be doing tomorrow. No, and you don't know who they are. I had a lady come up to me at this Amazon event the other day mm. who is, uh, you know, like a best-selling author and doesn't use a real name, and you'd never know who she was. Right. Never know who she was. No, well, that's
2: it entirely, mm. you know. Treat people the way you like to be treated yourself, you know, certainly if you're at these festivals and events and so on, don't be the one running around in your underwear at four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon because you've got too much <laughs> You know, maybe be, be sensible, be mm. professional. Mm. Have some business cards so you, you can pass them on if necessary. But talk, engage with people. Mm. Listen, remember the ratio of facial features. Mm. You've got one mouth and two ears. Mm. Do more listening. Mm. ask questions that engage people and then get your pitch you know, do all the networking stuff right, do it politely by all means, have a certain list of targets that you might want to speak to but don't bother them when they're coming out of the toilet and they're washing their hands Mm. you know, pick your moment, get friends to make introductions a big one for me is I'll make introductions that don't directly benefit me, but I know will benefit the other two parties. Yes. They then both think kindly of me, and if they can return the favour, they will, but they'll not see it as returning the favour. Oh, Here, I um, was at Harrogate last year and someone tapped me on the shoulder and, Graham, can you talk to these ladies? They're looking for people um, with books. That they may want to turn into a TV series, mm. so bang! And they were asking me who else within 10 minutes. I had five of my friends talk to them as well. Yes, yeah it was just a, literally a case of I got my pitch in, then I helped them out, and I helped five of my friends. I, I stood there and I just looked around to see who I could get. And yes, I was quite rude at times, I badged into conversations, excuse me. Can I just bother you for a second? Quickly explain what was on, and every one of them friends got their picture. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this is reciprocity again, which yeah. I, I mentioned before that you know it's not always just about you, but actually it does tend to come around. And ultimately, it's all about networking yeah. and making those connections, isn't it? Making the connections, mm. get out there at festivals. Doesn't even have
2: to be at festivals. You can do a lot of it online. But I'm better at festivals. Um, you know, speaking to people. Um, Hanging out, you know, the, the Harrogate Festival, wonderful programme and all the rest of it. I think I've seen maybe three events over the last two years. I go to hang out with my friends, catch up on their news, meet new people. The more I go, now that I'm an author myself, I'm starting to meet readers, which is incredibly... That's, yeah,
1: that's amazing, yeah.
2: Um. I see the various bloggers and that there, you know, it's an opportunity to thank them for the support they've given me, you know, to engage with them, you know, and meet up with old friends. The best way I can liken the Harrogate Festival for me is it's a family wedding. Mm. I'm going to, everyone's there to celebrate the same thing. Mm. I already know half of the people but the other half are here for the same reason too, so it's all good. There'll mm-hmm. be nice people, we'll meet, we'll chat.
1: Yes. I think author events are a lot easier, actually, because if you just ask what you're writing or what have you written, you're away. Um, yeah. Everybody's got an answer to that because that's why they're there in the first place. Exactly. So it's a fairly easy you know, opening question for people who don't like networking, really.
2: Ah, well, that's it. You know. and you're always going to get some people who are secretive about the writing or superstitious and don't talk about <laughs> yeah, it. And, yes. You know, um, and you'll get someone who'll tell you the plot of the next 15 books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you've almost got to say, look, stop, because yeah. if I inadvertently use any of these ideas, we're going to have a conflict of, yeah. you know, you're going to accuse me of plagiarism or stealing your ideas, you know. But again, <clears throat> I have a few very good and close friends that I Bounce ideas off. Um, writing friends, we, you know, they do the same with me. We get different ideas. And when you bounce the same idea off a couple of people, and they both go, "Oh, wish I'd thought of that,"
1: mm-hmm. then you know you've got a good yeah, one. Yeah. Now you, we're interviewing you at your your place of work. You've got. A busy job. The sort of catering hospitality is busy yeah. and it's cyclical. It'd be crazy at times as well. In the yes. summer you're at Gretna Green which is a major tourist destination. So how do you fit the writing in with this? And also this is um you'll be very quite shifty with I know you're your manager uh, here so maybe you're more regular but it's often evenings and weekends and things like that. It's a bit all over the place uh, hospitality.
2: My working day tends to be eight to five and then Bits of cover in the evenings, a lot of it's on call. Mm. Um, But I have a wife and son as well, just to keep me even busier. Yes, make make it even harder to write. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Though, to be fair, they're both very supportive of me in writing terms. I tend to aim for a thousand words a day which is a couple of hours tops um but I usually do that when once my son's gone to bed mm-hmm. at night um or early evening when he's still on his xbox It's
1: mm.
2: <laughs> uh, kids these days you know um they love them yeah. but at the same time I manage my time I'm not a huge fan of television I'll uh, we'll have it on in the background um Loads of people have had come, oh, have you seen The Walking Dead, Line of Duty, Breaking Bad, blah, 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 blah. No. Game of Thrones, I do watch and I'm fanatical about.
1: I'll put a game of football on, but I'll not stop writing to watch the football. Oh, you can write with the sound on, you? I, I can I can write with the telly on. Really? Yeah. I, I find that very distracting. Mm. I have to have silence when I write.
2: No, I would sit in the living room couch, TV on, um life mm. going on round about. Well, that, then,
1: that must help then, it? if you could yeah. be among everybody while you're doing it. That yeah. must really help. It does. I mean, some people, like
2: Tom Bale, that's with Bukature. um, He's written books in cafes. Harlan Coburn writes in cafe- cafeterias, mm. you know, supermarket cafeterias. Wow. Mm. You know, you've probably got the beep, beep, Yeah, beep they're very noisy. Going on all the yeah, time. Yeah, you know. and, but you think about it, if you work in an office, and there's noise going on around mm-hmm. you, to then go somewhere where there's no, no sound, no flashing lights, nothing moving, that would be a distraction for me the other way. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I would counterpoint this and say that when I'm editing a novel, I work silly long hours um, simply to maintain the purity of voice so that I get um, the edits done in the shortest number of days possible. Mm. You know, the longer it drags on, the less pure your voices, in my opinion. Mm. So I'll do it then, and then the telly goes off, and I just put a playlist on my phone or something
1: like that, just quietly in the background. So you've been published with Cafe Nights, and they, they feel, um, it's interesting who you're publishing with, because also now Bloodhound Books. Yeah. Uh, both, um, I, I'm generally fairly traditional resistant, um, but uh, I think you're, you're publishing with fairly innovative people, fairly open-minded yeah. people and not really stuffy traditional, I would no. suggest. No, um,
2: Dan at mates has traditional values and traditional publishing values, but he's aware that in this day and age, you need to react to the market, to react to the the consumer demands and the consumer choice of medium for receiving the book. Um, and he's worked that way. He's been up for quite a few technological awards mm. for um, the steps that he's taken. Um, Bloodhound book are virtually
1: e-p- e-publishing. Mm. Um, they're very interesting, Bloodhound. I've, I've yeah. had my own Bloodhound for a while.
2: Yeah. Um, they're growing in stature all the time. They're putting together a better and better team with every passing week Mm. and at the same time it's a husband and wife team that own and run it and it's got that family feel, it's still, without being using the term um, in a denigrating way, Mm. Mm. it's a small family business and and because of that it's got family values, it's got um, a point of contact. If you email someone, you get an email back in a couple of hours. If you email one of the big publishers, you get an email back in a couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? That responsiveness is good, yeah. You know,
2: and it's there. Um, It is, and it's a point of contact, and it's the support, and they've worked hard to engender... A collegiate feel to their authors. Mm. Um, no two authors are ever in competition. We're all trying to sell books. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's myself um, on the early steps of the ladder or Lee Child at the top, he's still competing for readers with every other author that's out there, whether I'm one of them or not. Mm. I'm still competing with Lee Child and every other author that's out there, whether he's one of them or not. You know, it's. It's one of those things, and authors can only, generally, uh, certainly through the traditional format, only publish one book a year. Mm. So someone's got to keep the readers warm for the rest of the year. <laughs> Absolutely,
1: yeah. 12 months in a the year, <laughs> they you need know, plenty of books. Yeah, ah, mm. well, well it, it's a fact. You know, if
2: your average reader reads one book a month, the mm. Child's not publishing 12 books a year. Yeah. You know, very, very few people are, except some of the self-pub indie brigade and unless they've had a huge backlist before they started self-pubbing i would question anyone's book who's got a turnaround of a month Mm. you know to have it written and properly edited and everything that way because it takes time takes time and care and the first thing i do with the book is nothing once I finish a book, I do nothing, I let it sit.
1: Mm. That's the Stephen King principle, isn't it? Have you, have you read it on writing? No, I haven't. Oh, well, that's what he says. He says, uh, when you've written a book, stick it in a drawer for three months, come back to it fresh, and yeah. then edit it. That's what he says. Yeah, and
2: that's what I do. Maybe not as long as three months. Mm. But I'm at least a month. Mm. And then I read it first as a reader with a notepad beside me, and I'm looking for all the big mistakes, all the really, really stupid stuff I've done. Mm. <clears throat> um, like someone being dead in page 5 but still alive at page 30. <laughs> yeah. That actually hasn't happened, but that's the kind of big mistake I'm looking for. All the big plot holes and the threads that go nowhere and don't get t- tied up at the end. Um. So uh, what I do is I, I saw all them. Then I go through the entire novel twice, looking at every line, paragraph, uh, punctuation, kind of tighten it, kind of make it better. Then I tend to
1: read it out loud to myself. That, that's I've heard a lot of people say that, but I don't think I could do it Bore myself, you know, to read it loud. It's it's hard and it takes a
2: bit of getting used to. When, you know, the first few chapters can... Yeah, and you find yourself either reading in a boring, droning voice, or you start putting voices on for people. and <laughs> <yourself>. <laughs> You know.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: so yeah, I mean, there's lots of bits and pieces to it, but I found that that is the best way. When when you you read your own work, you tend to read your mistakes right. Mm. You, mm. Your eye will run over them. Yeah, I agree with that. But your tongue doesn't. Mm. Your tongue, you'll either find that you've got a great run on sentence, and you're gasping at the end of it or you've missed a word out and you'll stumble. You, you pick out your tongue twisters and basically I work on the theory that if the tongue trips over it so will the eye.
1: You've had um, an amazing career, and it's it's quite compressed really. If you think those first self published books were two thousand and twelve, yeah, and then he, you know here we are in two thousand and seventeen. You've got a big event around you. You know you've had made some amazing connections, mm. and you're publishing with Bloodhound Books now, which is also incredible. What what's coming up next in this year for you? What's-
2: oh, well, um, the first book in the Jake Boulder series has been published um, by. Bloodhound on April the 25th. It's called Watching the Bodies and basically it's a story of an ex region who's now working as a bouncer at a rock bar in Utah. His best friend gets hired to investigate the murder, a murder of a girl they both knew and it ends up with our hero Jake Boulder uh, on the trail of a serial killer who's Signature trait is he selects his victims from the families who've families of the people who find the bodies that he dumps. Oh, right. Oh, wow. So it's mm, that's good. That's nice. Yeah. Nice twist. Mm. If, if you're going to write a serial killer novel, you've got to make them unique. Mm. And the second book in the series is out on September the 12th after St. Stephen. Retail doesn't publish a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, <I'm drunk laughs> yes. You're setting yourself up there, <laughs> aren't you, Fred? Um, yes, mm. I didn't think it through <laughs> at all, did I? Um yeah, the second book um is out September the twelfth. It's called The Kindred Killers. And the tagline for that is for Burning Crosses are just the start.
1: Mm, that's nice too. Yeah. Good stuff. Got beat. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a wee bit about it when we move it off. Yeah, it sounds good. I like it. Yeah. So writing, writing, writing. Why the plans then for the future? Must, films and things like that. You must be after TV series or something. I would love to think so. Um, um,
2: go one or two steps in that direction, which at the moment I don't want to disclose too publicly. Before I get heavily into that, I would probably need... A literary agent to make sure that I'm protected financially. And so the other side of people. I'm a joiner turned hotelier turned writer. I don't know what a film contract looks like, uh, and whether the writer should get one percent or ninety-five. percent yes. I really don't. You know, yes. yeah. I I would be very easy to rip off. I would also be very hard to rip off because I would fight. I would maybe lose the deal but not knowing mm. what I should be getting, what's realistic, and therefore asking for too much. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would need professional advice. Yes. I think I think contacts. we all do. Who knows where to start with that stuff. Mm. Exactly. Fortunately, mm. if I even if I don't have an agent, I've got loads of friends who are agents. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so I can I can always if I do have to negotiate it
1: myself, I would have I would have enough friends mm. in the industry who could give me pointers. Mm. Well, look, thanks ever so much for your time today. Crime and Publishment was brilliant. Thank Thank you you and well done for organising that. And best of luck with this amazing new series you've got with with Bloodhound Books. I really hope that goes very well for you.
2: Well, thank you very much for uh, having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.